I've noticed in my own life in this era of COVID-19 is that my emotions can swing to greater extremes than is normal. That can be a great thing for myself and for the people who are around me. For example, I have had unbelievable moments of peace and calm and gratitude and tranquility in the middle of this, a contentment that uh, seems to escape me in my usual daily busy life. And for those moments, I am so grateful. And I feel like objectively speaking, I'm a pretty fun person to be around in those moments. But then within seven seconds, my emotions can swing to a whole different place, a place of worry, of stress, of anxiety, and I think objectively speaking, I'm not a fun person to be around, and the signal in my family is that even my dog, Mason, clears away from me, it's like, I'm done with you now. And when I try to look in my life at the patterns that bring these swings of emotions, especially the ones of anxiousness, anxiety, and worry, I keep going back to that I'm in those moments the longer I sit in what we don't know and what we can't control in this time. Probably like many of you, I organize my life. My default is to organize my days and my weeks and my months and my years around activities that we pursue and go and do. Having a to-do list, knocking that to-do list off, finding the satisfaction of crossing off a list, planning out vacations we want to take, having goals and objectives as a congregation, things that we want to hold each other accountable for, things that we want to pursue, how it is we're going to move in those directions. How do we have these ideas and how do we move together as individuals, as communities, as a congregation? And right now, there's so little that we can predict and there's so little that's known. Are we going to be able to go and see our family in the UK? We don't know. Are we going to be able to uh, have school in the fall in the ways that we typically think of our children going? We don't know how it is that we open this state. How do we open this congregation to try to keep people safe? Well, we're doing our best, but ultimately right now we need to learn more and we don't know. Experts can't even help us. The people we turn to in times of uncertainty, their best response, the smartest ones are saying there's just so much we don't know and can't plan for right now. There's an article that I found incredibly helpful as this COVID-19 crisis pandemic began that I sent out to the directors and to the pastors on our staff and to our elders because I thought it really framed well um, what we need to be thinking about as a church. It's an article co-authored by Andy Crouch and it's called Leading Beyond the Blizzard. If you think about it in sort of cold weather scenarios, Andy Crouch says there's three different ways of thinking about the season that we're in. The first is a blizzard. The second is winter. And the third is an ice age. He said a blizzard, when you think about a blizzard, people just sort of hunker down and you just got to let the blizzard blow through and pass. And then you just get out and you move on with life. And as long as you can find safety, you just sort of carry on as before once the blizzard blows through. Winter lasts longer, he says. Winter is the time you have to adapt to, but winter is the time you know there's an ending point at some point in the future, and then we go back to normal. He said an ice age is where everything changes, and nothing really stays the same anymore. He says that organizationally, many companies and indeed many churches are acting like this is a blizzard. We just hunker down and get through it, and then things will go back to normal very quickly. And he says this is not a blizzard. That this is either winter or it's an ice age. And we're not going to know which one for years to come into the future. 
But we need to start acting organizationally like this could be an ice age and we need to be preparing for that scenario, meaning we need to think much more entrepreneurially and we've got to think about uh, what we do and how we do it in creative and, and, and different ways. Is it winter? Is it an ice age? This article, one of the best things I can find, the answer in the end is we don't really know. These are the things that at three o'clock in the morning I can sit up and wrestle with and worry about and try to strategize about, even though I know there's no answer that I can find. 3 a.m. is a great time to wrestle and try. So much is swirling around us that feels like it's changing, and yet in those moments at 3 a.m. or the other moments where I feel my emotions swinging to that extreme of negativity and worry, I need to go back in my head to what doesn't change. A scripture that guides me often is the one that Nicole just read a few minutes ago from Romans chapter 5. Paul talks about what we know and what never changes. Number one, suffering is real. Pain is real. Uncertainty is real. Worry is real. We live in a broken and fallen world and no one is spared from these things. That never changes. But what also never changes is the presence of hope. Hope is a funny word because we can hear it in a lot of different ways. When Paul writes about this kind of hope that emerges out of suffering, it's not a shiny, happy hope. It's not a take that frown and turn it upside down kind of hope. It's not a New Year's resolution kind of hope. Uh, yesterday was a tough day. Today we're going to have a better day. Let's make up our minds. That doesn't last, just like our New Year's resolutions don't last. Our willpower isn't enough. Rather, the hope that Paul is talking about is a grittier hope that comes out of difficulty. It's what Walter Brueggemann says is hope with scars. Hope with scars. That feels like the kind of hope that's appropriate right now. When I think about this letter from Romans, one of the things that I think all of us need to, to, to get our heads around is the historical accuracy and the historical reality that these books are set in. Paul was a real person. He wasn't just writing and uh, spouting out philosophy about hope from some ivory tower. Paul lived, he was just a bit younger than Jesus. He was really a contemporary almost of Jesus. He knew the disciples. He knew the people because he was a Pharisee who had put Jesus on trial. He knew the different people and he was well versed as a leader and a Pharisee who then came to faith in Christianity. Paul writes these letters, and when Paul writes about suffering, the historical accuracy makes a difference because what we realize is Paul's not writing about something theoretical. He's writing from his own experience. Suffering is something that Paul knew. He was ostracized. He was isolated. He was arrested. He was beaten. And he eventually is killed for his faith. Paul is writing from his experience, speaking to a world where suffering happens, speaking to you and I. And what he says is, suffering leads to hope, a hope with scars, and even outlines for us what the building of hope with scars looks like. He says that suffering produces something for people of faith. It produces endurance and endurance has value. And he says, then endurance produces something. Endurance, he says, produces character. 
And character is important. And lastly, he says that character then produces hope. And hope does not disappoint. And so over the course of these three weeks, as we talk about what doesn't change, what does it mean to be people of hope, we're going to look at each of these movements individually. Starting with today, talking about what does it mean to say that suffering produces endurance We have to understand that when Paul is talking about what suffering produces, he doesn't say what we're supposed to pursue, rather he says what's produced. So it doesn't mean that that the answer for us is when we're in a time of suffering is that we're to uh, pursue endurance. The goal is not endurance, but rather living the life of faith, uh, endurance is produced. It, it, It forms naturally from a life of faith. And Paul's argument for how we start to move beyond suffering and how endurance is built up in our lives is that we have to go back not only to the historical accuracy of understanding who Paul is, but he then points to the historical event of the cross. Understanding that the person of Jesus was real, that these events were real, and that the cross changes history forever. It changes the sort of fabric and DNA of the cosmos. Because what he writes about here is that that Jesus himself shares in our suffering. This verb that he writes about, to share, is an important verb in the opening verses of what Nicole read. Before we get into the what's produced and how do we get to hope, he starts by talking about that Jesus comes and shares in our suffering. That when we go through difficulty, Jesus comes into the world out of love to participate in, to to be intertwined with the suffering of this world. He shares in it. And Paul says that in some sort of transactional way through the cross, as Jesus shares in that suffering, even suffering that brings him to the point of death, we then see in Easter that he triumphs over these things. And Paul says as he shares in our suffering, we then will share in his glory. We are bound together with him. So as people of faith that we're not sitting there waiting for good luck or waiting for karma to turn out right or waiting for uh, you know, fate to turn around, we don't believe in that. We're not waiting for any of that stuff. Rather, what Paul is saying, we believe in a promise that comes out of an event that something in the nature of creation has changed. And as we understand that we share in God's glory, it's because he shares in our suffering. And that allows us to wake up every day with a sense of what we at Covenant might call a sense of hopeful expectation, even when things are difficult, trusting in this promise to be real for us. It makes all the difference in the world. Or as put by one theologian, It means that in our life, there are no dead ends. There are no dead ends. This is a phrase that means a lot to my family and to me. It was a phrase that was repeated by a person that people who had been at Covenant for a while have heard me mention before, a dear friend and mentor, Steve Hayner. Steve was well known as a leader in the church. He was the president of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship for over a decade. He then became the president of the seminary where Beth and myself both attended. But he was like family. He was a best friend. He was a mentor to me, and we were family with the Hainer family. The picture that you see before you now is one of the dearest possessions I have. It's the last photo that we have of the four of us with Steve when the four of us were together. 
Right after I moved out here, Steve was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and within my first year of being here, he passed away. And in this photo, Steve is sitting with my two young daughters, Miriam and Hannah. And the card he's holding is a card showing the cancer treatment that he is about to begin. It was like a grandparent having an illness, and he walked my children through that in this photo. He was the one that would use this phrase over and over again, we always have to remember there are no dead ends. And in those last months of his life, battling a very grave illness where shiny happy hope no longer applies, there was still a very real hope in Steve. And he reflected on that hope by saying that it's funny when you come to the point of real suffering and real questions to realize that you actually believe this is true. It's not just something written in a Bible. It's not even just something that you teach. You realize it is your truth, that there are no dead ends. And therefore, we move into each and every day with a sense of hope for the purpose God has for us that day and look to the world to come with hope as well. Because as Christ shares in our suffering, we share in his glory. Friends, for you and I that are in a time where so much is swirling and changing and unknown and we are on this roller coaster ride, may we remember that the promises that Paul writes about, that hope with scars is real because we can be people of endurance, not just who tolerate this time, but who persevere and endure because there are no dead ends. This is good news, and this never changes. Amen.